Hey everyone, welcome to the Labors of Love podcast. For today's episode, we're going back to one of our favorites from season one. Check it out. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help Or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Very excited to have my guest with me today. She is the owner and graphic facilitator at Inky Brittany, Brittany Curry. Thank you so much for being with me today, Brittany. Hey, good morning. Thank you so, so much for the invitation to come on and chat. Absolutely. So I'm going to start with you like I do all my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? My labor of love is visual communication. I take conversations and concepts and turn them into visual graphics that kind of look like these cartoony figures of people talking to each other and engage audiences and help people remember what was said and um, just kind of capture, capture the highlights. That is so fascinating to me. So I, one, I want to start and say that you and I were relatively newly introduced. Um, my good friend and previous podcast guest, Sarah Buffy, um, had come across your work and you all had collaborated on a few things and I saw the product and it was pretty amazing. And so she definitely said we were two people who needed to know each other and we have collaborated and you've created some things for me that have been very helpful in taking uh, some concepts that I talked about on one of my podcast episodes and making it so visually appealing and understandable and relatable that I've gotten such great feedback on it so far. So I'm really excited for my listeners to be able to hear about all the awesome things that you do. So can you tell us first how this even became a thing for you? Where is this passion rooted? Yeah, so I'll tell a quick story and imagine that there's like a little break in the middle. So I started off early years loving naturally to just draw, doodle, and sketch. My grandparents I spent a lot of time with as a kid and they kept me like surrounded by supplies basically to just keep me busy and make me behave and make me be good. Um, And then in college, I really took this break, this long term of like never drawing locking it away, never, never letting anybody know that this was something that I like had inside of me. And then my first job out of school was working for a dis in a disability advocacy field and recruiting advocates for people who were in some pretty hard situations. And when I say pretty hard, I'm talking like situations that there's no amount of words verbally I'm going to be able to describe to you, somebody who lives a good, comfortable life, some of the realities of people who were living inside of this disability service system. And I didn't know anything. I didn't know a lick about what that was. I didn't know what was a group home. I never in my life had considered this like this life that people are kind of stuck in. And so anyways, it was through that role and through that job, I took a workshop in 2012. I won't call it a workshop or a uh, 
it was a get together, a gathering of people that did similar work. And I met this group of people who for like decades have been using graphics in their planning meetings. They'd put some paper up on the walls and, you know, work it out, draw it out and, um, and, and not hesitate to use visuals and so that's how I discovered it was a visual, like, a, I mean, I'm sorry, professional field of practice. And that's what started to churn my wheels again in terms of like, oh, wow, you know, not only am I sort of in, interested in that, I'm really stinking. I love it. And, and people seem to enjoy, you know, the work that I'm doing. So that's what led me to, that's the journey in a nutshell. <laughs> And I just want to tell you that it's okay to say I'm really stinking good at it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that is awesome to say. And you really are. Thank you for sharing kind of that journey. Um, I can imagine um, that finding something or seeing something before you as a profession, like a way to make money and have a career doing something that was just kind of something you did must have felt kind of surreal and amazing. At least it would have for me. What was it like to discover that you could have an impact and make money doing something that you probably hadn't put a lot of uh, value on before seeing it? Oh, for sure. For sure. I, like most people, I, it took for so long for me to discover that this was a field of practice. And what I'm so most thankful for is like so many people, it takes them like forever. If they ever even do uncover, what is your core gift? That thing that combines our interests and skills and passions with something that's useful to other people. And so uncovering like what my core gift is, pretty like pretty early in the game relatively speaking um was exciting and makes me grateful but then like the challenge that every business owner faces like how many years of trial and error do I have to go through before I am able to really make this work as a business like that's that's another leg of excitement so it's it's pretty amazing. That's another part I'm just going to name and own and not going to lie about. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yes, I love that. You know, when I when it comes down to it, and don't get me wrong, it's full of skill and nuance and all of that. But at the end of the day, I get to talk for a living. And then when I'm not talking, I get to listen. <laughs> That is pretty fantastic. You know, when you just think about when you talk about the core gift and um, I recently saw a meme on um, social media that was kind of paying homage to the girls growing up in school who on their progress reports or their report cards got talked too much. To social and things like that. And I'm like, so me, right? That was always the feedback. Like, you know, she's too social. You're talking too much. You're too interactive. And that was like, how about them apples? Like people pay me good money now to do this very thing you tried to shut down. So I kind of think about how we start doing something. Like you said, your grandparents invested in you they gave you supplies and you just doodle, you just did these things. And, and I was just talking or listening or being relational. And here we are finding a way to kind of not only uh, exercise and utilize our gifts, not just make money doing it, but the part I really love that you said is being useful to others. And so I, I just think it's super fantastic. And 
uh, fascinating. Yes, thank you. I would love to take a moment um, to have like a little side conversation about um, an element of your story that was uh, very important, which is a work in working with people with devalued labels Mm -hmm. um, and people with developmental disabilities. Mm -hmm. While it's not my primary um, population that I work with, I've had the pleasure of doing some really awesome work in and around um, disability services. And I think it's worth having a conversation about, because like you said, there are so many people who are living the lives they're living, who have no idea the amount of trauma, um, devaluation and struggle that people, um, with seen and unseen disabilities experience. So yeah. What would you say to that? Um, I'd say that so much of it is really like, there's so much of it that's not conscious and it's not intentional, but point blank, I guess before I discovered the work that I got into, I would be one of many people that if I saw things with people with disabilities happening, quote, out in the community, and I saw people all congregated together in a big group, I wouldn't necessarily think that was a bad thing. I would think, oh, you know, how, how nice, you know, the folks that organize that you know, how nice of them to do that for those people. You know, Mm -hmm. that was just the unconscious Mm -hmm. thinking that I had. And um, the more I began to like learn and look deeper at what it really meant to only be given the opportunity to, to share my time and only the opportunity to share my life with other people who had a whole bunch of other impairments (laughs) who none of us chose to be together and none of us have much say so in what happens and and just that deeper look and decide of what that of what that world is like and it's it's pure hell to not have control or say so over yourself not only to not have i mean all that and to not have friends and and links to the outside world so to draw back my main point you know that person from the outside that sees that group of people out in the community you know and 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 doesn't really necessarily ever have a chance to interact with folks beyond um, sort of people being grouped together. And that's that creates a huge layer of, creates a huge barrier for people to get to know each other and having real friends and not having have it mitigated by uh, services or, or volunteer organizations. And so I have um, just had a, that opened my eyes and that's the journey that I feel like I've been on ever since is trying to help people understand that, you know, people need friends. <laughs> people don't need a lifetime of programmed things. People need friends. Thank you so much. Yeah. We, as people, uh, I think people who have community in some way, particularly community, they get to choose really do take for granted how integral that is to our well-being, our physical and mental, emotional, psychological well-being. And to your point, as I um, began um, having interaction with uh, some of the boards of DD, some disability services, um, coming into some of the work that I'm doing around trauma, and then being able to partner, collaborate, and learn from Sarah Buffy, 
it, the whole world, my whole world was just like, wow. So one thing that I want to say about um, our brothers and sisters who have visible or invisible disabilities is that we have so much bias against them as just human beings. And what I mean by that is there are these often unconscious beliefs we have about people with developmental disabilities or even some physical disabilities um, that they are forever children or that they um, that they're they don't have the same needs that we do, like need for connection, like you were talking about, Brittany. Um, we have this belief that they are asexual and don't uh, and don't have a desire for romantic or sexual relationships. We have a belief that they are incapable of caring for themselves in any capacity. and 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 so what that leads to is a lot of services. Uh, and volunteer organizations that come and say, oh, right, we take on that tone of voice. Oh, look at them. How can I help? You wouldn't look at me if I was struggling with something and go, oh, how can I help her? (laughs) That's just not the tone that most people would take. Mm -hmm. And so we move into, well, no, we don't. We don't move into relationship with them. We move into relationship with systems that we think can help them. Instead of having direct relationships with them. And so through the work, what I've been able to do is learn this. And I don't say this in judgment because like you confessed, I didn't know. But what I found is the value in relationships. And I have been able to have relationships and ongoing relationships with people who oftentimes don't have people who take the time to just be in relationship with them. Not from a burdened perspective, not, oh, let me do this for you. But when I truly went into relationship with them, I was able to see how they impacted my life in a very positive way, not just me going to impact theirs. Mm -hmm. So I I thought that was worth talking about. If you if you don't have someone in your life who has um, a disability, think about that. Right. If I were to say. Do you, if you were, if you're a white person and I say, do you have any black friends? Then it wouldn't be, it's not acceptable at that point for people to be like, oh, well, it just kind of didn't happen. We would say, hey, you didn't put forth an effort mm-hmm. to be in connection and relationship with someone who is a different race than you. Well, the same thing applies here. If you don't have someone in your life that has a disability, seen or unseen, think about that and think about the lack of effort on your part to have a diverse group of people around you who can impact your life and you can impact theirs. So that is my PSA (laughs) for the podcast. But thank you for, I mean, it was such a integral part of your origin story to the work that you do and your passion. Um, But yeah, I I thought that was a moment worth having. So thank you for bringing that. No, absolutely. And still accounts for so much of the bulk of the work that I am engaged in right now. And what I hope will be, the for the duration of as long as I am working will be in that field and supporting people and their families. And, you know, people, we do have to be going way, way out of our way to intentionally have those relationships because unfortunately we've grown up so segregated from each other that we only have this memory of, you know, like maybe one, maybe you had a relative or, um, you know, somebody who was like in your Sunday school class or something, but by and large, people did not grow up having the opportunity to know people with disabilities intimately. And, and not only 
did that lead to like all kind of, of miscommunications about folks? But one of the other things, and um, we can definitely like move topics. I don't want to spend too long because there's so much other talk about. But um, one thing of people's rush over the years, what I noticed is like if people would figure out one thing that would work, if they got somebody some good support and there was like a story of somebody being able to move out of the institution and have their own apartment and have some supports the the rush to try to replicate that on mass scales and the rush to try to implement that system wide mm-hmm. is what got the system i think kind of all gunked up with with the protocols that people have to go do today i was just talking to somebody i try really hard not to have like self-fulfilling prophecies i try really hard to stay open and objective but i'm like literally listened to somebody chat the other day saying what it, uh, what mountains she has to move and hoops she has to go through to get simple things done administratively. And so anyways, um, trying to get support for one person and trying to get support for every person out there in the system is just like a whole different way of, of thinking about things. So anyways, that is the work that I am still that still surrounds me so much. And I'm really grateful to talk about it on this podcast because many of the conversations I've been invited to is all about like, tell us about everything about graphic facilitation. And this is really what is important in my mind is continuing on, you know, the path that's already been laid and the path ahead. So thank you for making the space. This is the perfect place <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm pleased to. And, you know, as I listen to you talk and even I reflect on what I was just saying, you know, I want to be clear. I need to do a better job, too. You know, this is definitely not I have arrived, but it has been so helpful when I've been able to lean into relationship and community with people, um, all kinds of different people. My life has been better mm-hmm. because I get to see so many different perspectives. And as a clinician and as a person who does a lot of training and a lot of consultation to help people, I am so grateful that I, I at bare minimum understand that I don't get it all and that there are perspectives I don't know and that I do actually make a very intentional effort to see different perspectives by being in relationship with different people. In ongoing, so, absolutely. Ditto. Yep. Yes, I love it. So I am going to now segue okay. to some of this awesome conversations about graphic facilitation. Perfect. So I know what you do, and I've been able to see it and interact with it. But for the listener who maybe has yet to have seen any of your work, can you just tell us a little bit about kind of besides taking visually appealing uh things to help people remember conversations and kind of put them out. I know that things that seem simple, like, oh, she's just drawing meeting Mm -hmm. notes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is never that simple. And I'm sure it's complex and nuanced. So can you just take us on a little journey of what graphic facilitation is? Yes, absolutely. So I have to give a short disclaimer beforehand. The pandemic has had has caused me to have a little bit of an identity crisis as a practitioner because um, before March, primarily what I did was I would attend meetings live in person, whether it was a um, a panel discussion or a training or a a three or four day conference sometimes, and pick. Uh, segments of the agenda to graphic record. So using my deepest listening with some big chart with big chart paper up on the wall 
um, I've had to be in some pretty amazing rooms and some pretty amazing conversations documenting people's feedback, their folklore, you know, um, when there was a strategic planning, just so many, many different incarnations of how people use this tool of having somebody live draw to capture uh, their meeting contents and, and then follow up and feed the images back to people. So now the reason I said I'm having an identity crisis is because the pandemic has forced me hard, a hard force, not a soft nudge, a hard force into using the tablet and the technology. And um, so whereas before I would like never tell somebody, you know, I'm a graphic designer and an illustrator, turns out I'm a graphic designer and an illustrator. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was really specifically before just very hardcore about graphic recording, graphic facilitation. It's, It's really about the information heavy component um, and I spend a lot of time chatting with people about how, like, yes, it's art, but, you know, please don't say to the room full of 200 people, this is the graphic artist, because mm-hmm. I want them to understand that this is about communication and about conveying messages through visuals. And um, so, yeah, a graphic facilitation, graphic recording, there's several many things under that umbrella, and I'm finally embracing all of them, <laughs> which is awesome. Yes, it is awesome. And, you know, I really do appreciate in some ways the questions that the pandemic has uh, allowed us to ask ourselves. Um, And and it sounds like one of, you know, for you, kind of, as you put it, this identity crisis is expanding how you view, you know, the work you do and the way you're able to provide it. I know for many clinicians that happened, I did not provide virtual therapeutic services or trainings prior to the pandemic um, and had this had this total perception that it was going to be so much uh, so um, maybe not ineffective, but it wasn't going to be as good. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm an extrovert and a very relational person. So I do miss just kind of face to face contact, but the ability to deliver information and content to people in an effective way where they can be safe where they are. And the exposure that it has allowed me to have to people who are not local uh, has been fantastic. And so I love that. I also really appreciated your emphasis on communication because we are a very verbal uh, society and culture, I would say. And so there is so much emphasis that we put on verbal uh, are, are written in verbal words when so much of our communication um, is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And when I think about what you're providing, the service you're providing, um, and even how it's impacted uh, the services I provide right now by being in collaboration with you, it really does appeal to the person who has heard my words and it's like swimming around in there. And then they see an illustration and it's like, oh, Oh, well, I get that. And then they find that they have things to contribute. Not that they didn't before, but sometimes the verbal processing just needs a little extra support (laughs) in order for it to be kind of experienced in a way that's meaningful to different people who have different learning and communication uh, preferences. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I try to notice what is fading away in the world that people really miss and want more of. And something that's so personal, right? If you really want to get people's attention and you really want to touch people, 
you know, personalism and something that's special to them, something that they said, something that they contributed. And, you know, that is what I try to incorporate. And, um, yeah, it just, it unlocks an experience to have a a visual recorder, like it touches people's emotions in a way that when the written and the spoken word, I think how our brains process is just like the visual just gets you in a different compartment. No, I totally agree with you. Um, <clears throat> I'm a part of a, um, it is a, <laughs> what is it? Uh, we are, so it's Morning the Creations, a project. Let's call it a project. It's called Morning the Creations of Racial Categories. And it's uh, headed by Professor Joan Ferrante out of Northern Kentucky University. Point being, we're talking about race, racial categories in this country and the impact that it has had on so many people. And there are books written about it. There are TED Talks. There are YouTube videos. Um, But what I appreciate about the project so much is that it used all forms of art. So there was poetry. And there was dance and there was composition and there was sculpture and there was uh, spoken word and there was uh, acting and there was dance. And the thing about it is people were able to feel Mm -hmm. the experience we were trying to give them instead of just hear it. Mm -hmm. And it takes on a whole new dimension when you give someone away, like you said, for those things to hit their Uh, their core, their feelings, their emotions in ways that sometimes just the spoken and written word Mm -hmm. don't. Mm -hmm. Now, what I can say for what you produced for me, which was actually based off of um, episode five of my podcast, which is the developmental relational trauma therapy episode. And probably my favorite part, though I loved it all, is when I found me in the graphics. Mm -hmm. And it was so cool as I was looking through and I was like, hey, that's me. (laughs) I'm sitting on a couch and I have short blonde hair and hey, <laughs> and that is me. And and it was just really nice to, to see myself in there. So when you talk about people seeing themselves, a representation of themselves or their words being captured, there is something very, um, very healing, but just kind of being seen and heard and understood that we don't always get that immediate feedback when we're having meetings or we're doing a training or any kind of thing like that. So mm-hmm. I think that is awesome. Mm-hmm. And so let's take a let's talk about this for a second. If a person is listening and they're intrigued and they're like, hey, I like drawing. You know, this I I, I like drawing, but I also like communicating and having people be heard. Mm-hmm. What would you say to a person who's interested in maybe um, exploring or pursuing graphic facilitation? I would say like good news. There is a whole community of people worldwide who do this as a professional field of practice. Um, here's the hard news and it's not bad news, but here's the hard news is anybody who is interested in going into it, who would be interested in it like as a career. It's just like any other career. It's, it's a trial and error. You have to take so seriously the craft and, and making yourself a student of the history of the origins. It's, it's not just drawing. 
if you really understand the people that came and formulated and, and theorized and wrote about this and tried it out and revised it. And, you know, that group of people out there is very, very welcoming and very generous with their knowledge. They're, they're happy to share anything with new practitioners in the field, but it is a serious field. Um, and it, it's really incredible. It can be self-guided, which is really exciting. You know, I've worked primarily alone, but, um, there, there are several ways to learn more. I'd say the first thing I tell, tell people is simply just to learn more. There's a graphic facilitation open Facebook page that is filled with people who are just like at interest level to people who are serious seasoned practitioners. There's a professional society called the International Forum of Visual Practitioners, ifbp.org, and I'm a member of that. Those would be the places to start looking into the community. That would be one. And then the second thing is there are opportunities all around to try it out. You know, it could be a TED Talk. It could be a news article. It could be, you know, a speech that your mayor just gave in response to COVID-19, looking for places to practice. Um, when I was launching my, when I was really trying to turn this into a business, I spent 50% or more of my time calling people and saying, Hey, I see you've got a meeting tonight at six. Can I come and I'd love to come and offer this skill of graphic facilitation and put this paper on the wall. And they'd be like, sure, sure, sure. And that's how, you know, I got it done is just getting out there and doing it. So learning about the community and the, 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 you know, the roots of who have, who have formed this community and kind of hold that, that knowledge and just trying it out and doing it wherever you are. That is fantastic advice. And I feel like it transcends just this one profession, but it's solid advice for anyone who's interested in going into anything. Um, I personally believe that in the time of YouTube, um, <laughs> everything seems a little bit simplistic. Um and while I think in some ways people can feel empowered to try things that they would not have tried before um, and can learn things that they, they don't know very quickly. I have used YouTube to do many things. Um, I remember buying a car, right? And not knowing how to open the thing to put the gas in. YouTube, very <laughs> right. helpful, okay? So I'm not knocking YouTube, but what I am doing is maybe reiterating your point that there is always a depth, a history, and a lot of texture and integrity to a lot of things that exist. Yes. And when we do not take that seriously, we jump at the practice of something without understanding their roots. And I think that can be so um, potentially dangerous I think any tool that is misused can become a weapon. Right. And when that happens, when we don't intentionally say, what is the integrity? What are the roots? What, what, what is this thing? And then what I love that you shared is get in community. Like yes. we don't have to be islands out here doing these things alone, but there are other people who are either interested or are well-rooted in it. And so I think that's huge. Whenever I hear someone <laughs> allude to, um, yeah, like being a therapist because they like to give advice, I literally facepalm. <laughs> it's just like, that's not it. That's not right. it. 
And, you know, I honestly want to be out there. Like if you are with a therapist and all they do is give you advice, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, hey, you might want to consider because that might just be your friend or your cousin. Right. You know, and then, yeah, so there's a lot more to it. Mm -hmm. And while I never try to um, be disingenuous about people's efforts, I do want to make sure people understand that there is a lot of time, effort, money, resources, energy that goes into developing any craft Mm -hmm. that a person is experiencing. So it doesn't mean don't start. I don't want to be a discouragement, but it does mean that to hold the integrity of that thing, sometimes you kind of got to, you know, dive much deeper into just starting to do it. So that was and and making sure that every single year that I'm holding myself, even though I don't have a, you know, I am working for myself. So this is instituted by, by me, by management, but every year that I have to go deeper and implement some deeper part of learning. And yes, there have been years where like I let my membership fees lapse because I, you know, but I've found some, or I wasn't able to go to the conference for whatever reason, but I have made sure to find some way, at least to keep it in the corner of my mind, that just the way that professional development is a part of any field and any job that invests in that, that I, that the same goes for me and for my practice. And, um, you know, the good news is like the community is so welcoming. If you know how to use social media to your advantage, to connect with people and see the breadth of what's possible out there and the way that people are using graphics. I mean, you can really, you know, if you're a self-guided, self-motivated person, that's a really beautiful invitation or opportunity. And I think I've, I've tried to make the most of it. I'm still trying to make the most of it and, and invent new things to do with it. Yes. Thank you. And I feel like you brought up a really good point too. I always differentiate for myself, the difference between the business and the work. Mm-hmm. I love the work. <laughs> like this is the work. What I'm doing right now is part of my work. Um, having meaningful conversations with people who are doing fascinating and fantastic things in the community, you know, mm-hmm. using my platform to elevate their voices and help people. I love it. But you know, after the work, there's the business. This thing got to be edited. It has to be marketed and promoted. Mm-hmm. Um, there are tons of things that make a business run. And I'll be 100% honest, and I'm sure I've said this before, um, I don't like the business part. It doesn't bring me nearly as much joy as the work part. But in order to do the work, I got to do the business. And the hope is that I continue to grow, and I am, to a point where I'm going to find somebody to do the business part. (laughs) And in some ways, you know, I have. So all of my media, anything media I have someone who does that. Instant Classic Media takes care of all of that for me. That's helpful. But there's a lot of business that takes place that I don't want to do, but I have to do. Mm -hmm. So as like any business owner, how do you kind of balance the work and the business for yourself? I just, I am, one of my really strong gifts is I am keep like meticulous written records. Um, I have always kept a really, really detailed planner. I mean, I I have records going back to like when I was in high school of writing down every single day, every single conversation when I was in college, it's it's almost weird. It's like a weird (laughs) dimension of who I am, but just keeping just really good record keeping systems. And you know how some people out there are like, I'm a list maker. Like I make a lot of lists. Like, 
just know, LaShonda, I make a lot of lists. (laughs) (laughs) And I take great satisfaction in tidying up those lists every week. Say if I have three quarters of the things checked off, then I'll transfer the next ones and I keep them all around my apartment taped up on big piece of paper on the wall. You know, the science behind why I work with the graphic facilitator, because if you write down your goals, the chances of increasing them is so much more exponentially higher. And the more I'm I'm listening to like podcasts and these self-help and self-improvement gurus out there, they're all saying the same thing. And I'm like, I wish they could see, they'd be proud of me. You know what I'm doing? (laughs) If they could see my apartment, because that's really how I keep it, the system moving. And at this point, I'm not all the way to capacity with work. Like I'm, I'm managing, I'm managing things well <laughs> for the first time in a long time. Um, but it could be overwhelming if it got to be too much more or with what I see in the future expanding and having, um, things available that are not, that's one thing that I think I t- I'm taking away from a podcast I listened to of yours and several others is moving away towards having, um, you know, your live stuff that you do, but then also stuff that is your brand that's earning for you when your physical work isn't necessarily involved. So, um, like I have a little bit more bandwidth, Mm -hmm. but that's what I'm trying to crack right now. (laughs) No, I definitely get it. And when it comes to lists, girl, listen, (laughs) Yes. And, you know, to some degree, they're color coded. And I do, you know, I do that transfer and I have my immediate, you have to do this list right now. And my, hey, this needs to get done soon. And then this, this, this is, this will be good to do that. And interestingly, eventually some of that, it would be nice moves to the, you need to do it now. And I do, I have my list and and that's very important. Um, I probably get a little more excited about post-it notes than the average person. Um, but yeah, it's all there. And I also found that this has been helpful for me in reducing my urgency addiction. Mm-hmm. When I heard about urgency addiction, I was like, what? And it's so true. I can move into a false sense of urgency at the drop of a dime. (laughs) And what that means is everything that needs to be done in my mind needs to be done right now. Right now. And at this moment, (laughs) and it gets overwhelming. And then I don't know what to do. And then I end up on the couch taking a nap because I have like overloaded myself to the point I've I've exited my window of tolerance and I'm in shutdown. And then I have to, what's helped me is the list and is prioritizing what's important and urgent right now. Right. There are things that are important, but they're not urgent. Right. There are things that are urgent. Yeah. But they're not that important. And so being able to move into those quadrants and have my list has been tremendously helpful for me to kind of prioritize because there, what I realized too, is there is always going to be work that needs to be done. I will never get to a point where it's like, hey, there is absolutely nothing I could be doing for my business today. (laughs) No, it's not going to happen. But uh, having organization and list and and keeping my my urgency addiction in check has been very Mm -hmm. helpful Mm -hmm. to kind of help me navigate both the work and the business. So that was Mm -hmm. super, um, I think, effective, uh, effective advice for those Mm -hmm. who would take it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So Brittany, is there anything else about uh, graphic facilitation that we haven't covered or any questions I haven't asked that you would like to share um, or just about you yourself in general? Um, I just want to say to, yes, thank you for the opportunity to say like one last thing. This is 
an observation that I've been making since the first or second time that I ever stood live in front of a room full of people to do this. And the number of folks that will come up to me afterwards and say, I just love your work. And, you know, it's so, it's people's kind words are so nice to hear, but people are just, you know, I can't draw. I cannot draw a stick figure. I can't draw. <laughs> people are just so positive that they, that they're just not able to do it. And I'm like, I just smile and I say, you know, if you look at my work, you can see that it's really not about sophisticated illustration. It really is just kind of stick figures. Um, but that was what early on I realized it was a mindset thing. It was like, it was a mental forgive. It was a mental permission and it was a mental fearlessness and boldness. I'm saying this because I think that's one of those things that transcends to no matter what field you're getting into. But I think what people, the majority of people are so locked into is they just can't, can't, can't. Because that's the story they keep telling themselves. And when you finally stop telling yourself that story and you say, you know what? Yes, the heck I can. And I'm, and I'm going to do this. That was the mindset shift that I had to get into with graphic facilitation. So is I appreciate kind words about how much people love my work. And, you know, the whole time I know it's because it's not because of some artistic ability. And I'm not demeaning my work by saying that. It's because of the boldness to, like, not put this expectations on myself and let myself play and, like, do it publicly. Um, and that was, like, the secret sauce for me starting in my journey. And I think for anybody that's trying to get in. In, to any industry or any craft should find a way to just like listen to themselves and not, and like let go of all that self-judgment stuff. Huge. And mm -hmm. you said one word in there that I think encapsulates so much. Well, maybe three words, put them together, play in public. Yep. If we are willing to just kind of take that level of vulnerability and play, when we put play and, and make it fun, then we can kind of let go of some of the expectations of perfection, which I've talked about perfection so many times. It's a losing battle every single time. So that was very helpful. And I hope that the listeners are really taking to heart wherever they find themselves, whatever uh, direction they're going in, that that is, that is some solid stuff. So thank you for sharing that. Well, if someone heard you talking today, Brittany, and they're like, I need more information. That is so interesting to me. I have a few more questions. How can people find you or get in touch with you? All of my work is available. You can take a look at or contact me through my social media pages at Inky Brittany, all one word, and Brittany is spelled B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y. And yeah, you can just shoot me a direct message and um, I'm pretty pretty easy to get in touch with. Awesome. And we will obviously have uh, Brittany's information in our show notes. And so finally, Brittany, I like to round out uh, the podcast with my guests by asking them to share a fun, interesting, or little known uh, fact about themselves. I run a super fan page for Celine Dion and for the late Selena Quintanilla, the Mexican-American singer who was killed in the 90s. Um, I run a fan page for them on the internet and I'm dedicated and a proud part of their international fan communities. And I would also invite people to follow me there and check out some of my content um, on Instagram at the at 
handle Selena Savannah is where you can check that out. I am smiling and nodding my head. Usually my <laughs> producer's in the room with me. And we always find ourselves looking at each other during the little known facts like, huh. And like, I know him well enough that where he is, he went, huh. <laughs> like, that is very interesting. Um, and it's, I never know what people are going to say. And I'm always blown away. So thank you. I would never have guessed that you ran a, a international or fan club uh, yeah. base for Celine Dion. And, yeah. and uh, so that is, that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so yep. much for sharing. Thank you. Every time when I listen to your podcast and it's like, are you interested in starting your own podcast? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I should do that for Celine and Selena. But I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking about it. So maybe. there you go. <laughs> Brittany, thank you so, so much for being my guest. I, I really appreciate it. And I, I love that you were able to come and share your labor of love and your passion. And I know my listeners would get a lot out of it. So thank you. Many thanks to you, not just for 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 the invitation to be here, but I'm enjoying your podcast and your guests so much. So many, many thanks to you. Thank you. I also want to send a special thank you to Trey Angel for the music for the Labors of Love podcast, to Instant Classic Media for providing all production for the Labors of Love podcast, and to you, my listeners. I do not take it for granted. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. If you'd like to reach out and have uh, suggestions for content or guests, you can find me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. Don't forget our YouTube channel where we have therapy Thursday videos. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, give the five-star rating and share the podcast. Until we connect again, you all be well.